Welcome back to another bonus episode of the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Today I'm speaking with Chad Stoloff. Chad was the head women's coach at Northern Colorado, but unfortunately the program came to an abrupt end in the summer of 2020 due to athletic department financial concerns around the COVID-19 pandemic. Chad began his career as a volunteer coach at San Diego State before eventually making his way to the head men's coaching role at the University of Nevada where he led the teams to many program firsts between 2005 and 2009. He also served as the head men's and women's coach at Springfield College from 2015 to 2018. I discussed with Chad his transitions in and out of coaching and from one division to another, dealing with the cancellation of the program at UNC, how he balances his intense love of learning with application, and most importantly, coach mental health. Chad Stoloff, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, good. It's This is my third Zoom uh, podcast recording, so it's great to be able to see you. It's nice to see you as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, look, tell me, uh, there, there's so much that we can get into here. You, you've coached at, at uh, numerous different levels. Um but I want to start just understanding how your experience as a volunteer assistant at San Diego State and assistant at Hawaii prepared you for the success you know you created at Nevada on the men's side. So San Diego State was an, an amazing opportunity for me to work for John Nelson, uh, who recently retired at Hawaii, um, because the program had he had built up the program over over years and uh i was i was stepping into coaching guys that were a lot better than me as players and even a couple of the guys were older than me so that was very intimidating at first um having not played at that that level of and and stepping in to coach somebody like you know oliver myberger who's eight in the country in singles and ollie and ryan who are number one in the nation in doubles and and here i am like when we played San Diego State, when I was a junior, I lost like one-on-one to uh, Valentino Pest, um, number two player. And, and I'm like, okay, now I'm coaching him. You know, are they going to respect me? And um, I just – it was really amazing because John had, had created a culture where the guys just wanted to get better. And they – realize like anybody involved in the program was there with that mission. And so I just really came in with a learning, learning mindset. And John was really willing to facilitate that. Like he, he's an amazing teacher and educator and coach. And then he, um, the, the job opened up, Jim Schwitters retired at Hawaii and a couple of John's buddies told him to apply. And, um, John had family out there in Hawaii and, he applied and and when he got the job, he asked me, you know, to come with him. And I was like, yeah, I'll go to Mars with you. I mean, just, it, what, what he did for me, I mean, the, his, his willingness to, to mentor me and teach me about life on and off the court and coaching and being an educator was exceptional. And I think taking that forward into Nevada, that's what I really, wanted to bring was not just winning on the court, but like winning in life in essence and, and really having that as a foundation and, and also 
John has a great ability to bring people into the fold um, that can, from the outside, you know, that can support that. And that that's really what I felt we needed to do at Nevada. It wasn't going to be just, you know, the players, the coaches. It was, it was going to be the community. It was going to be alumni. It was just going to be different people that really saw the value in, in supporting uh, our, our vision. So how, you know, how do you even start that? So you get the job at Nevada and you have all these things in your mind, like how, how do you prioritize those things in the first few months or say the first year? That was really tough. Cause I was, I was 25 years old and the first time being a head coach and it's very different going from like when you're an assistant and things are, are going well, you think like, Oh, okay. Like it'll, it'll just be easy that way. At least I did um, in that respect or easier than, than it might be, but every situation is different. Um, and the time is different. So first, like at Nevada, I felt, okay, we had no tennis facility on, on campus. Like we had to go off uh, offsite to practice and, and I felt like, okay, we have to figure out long-term, are we going to be able to build a facility on campus, indoor, outdoor, um, one or the other combo. Um, financially, we had the lowest budget in the conference, uh, what's now the Mountain West at the time was the WAC, which you're you know well familiar with and time in Fresno. And so I was like, all right, we have to, we have to figure out like what – what we're going to do now, right now, like in the, in the first you know, 30 days and the first semester and the first year and what we're going to build towards long-term. And I think that was a trial and error process and, and talking to, talking to John, talking to other people as well. I mean, I've been mentored by some just amazing college coaches over the years, like Dick Gould and Dave Fish and Bobby Bayless and people like that, that I would, you know, just call them up or email them or text them and say, like, what do you think? And, um, and it, it was definitely, I think I didn't do a great job of it. You know, the first year I was all over the place and, and trying to do everything all at once. And that doesn't work very well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know that feeling. Um, so, so yeah, we talked about, San Diego State, Hawaii, Nevada, so all on the men's side, men's division one. Then you move over to division three, coaching both men's and women's, and then you transition back to division one women. So what aspects of the job stayed the same? What was new and, and maybe, you know, what was maybe difficult for you to adapt to at first? So... The aspect that stayed the same same was being in the human development business, trying trying to help help these uh, young people grow and and achieve their goals and their dreams on in that chapter of their lives and and set them up for future success. How they determined success um, that that has never changed where, wherever I've been. Uh, that's been my platform, my mission, uh, foundation. It's like, okay, at the end of the day, someone can, uh, be really good at hitting the ball or, or they can be male, female, whatever, but, uh, it doesn't matter whether it's Hawaii or Massachusetts. It's like, okay, what, 
what do they want to accomplish? What do we want to accomplish together? And what's important uh, short and long term? Um, I had never coached uh, a women's team before. And so when I went out to Springfield College, um, I, I really did a, a, a deep dive into talking to a variety of women's coaches, not just in the sport of tennis, but also at Springfield College, talking to the volleyball coach and the lacrosse coach and soccer coach and, and trying to get um, best practices because I coached individual female players, but not, not a team of women. And uh, I remember talking to Simon Earnshaw about it because of his success at Armstrong um, and coaching two teams at once as well, that challenge. And he gave me some great advice um, along the way. And the, the last part of your question again was, the last part was, so you've talked about uh, the things that, that stayed the same, but uh, interest to know what was, what was different, you know, what was maybe most challenging. So you've, you've all your kind of say college coach training was in division one men at the, at the mid-major level. And now you're in division three and now you're with the women division one, you know, what, what were some of the biggest differences or do we think that, the differences are, are, are big, but they're really not. Like you said, the focus is always the same on you're trying to develop uh, young people in this chapter of their lives. Yes and no. So, I mean, there's, there's some commonalities. There's some threads that run through that are, you know, similar. I mean, in terms of young people and teams and competitors and, and all those factors. But I think coaching, uh, I experienced at Springfield College uh, two factors. One, coaching in Division Three was different. Uh, external um, pressures and feeling and internal as well uh, than coaching in, in Division One or playing in Division One, And then coaching a women's team versus a men's team. The, the way Simon said it to me and, and I got to experience, I really uh, agree, is like with the guys, I felt like it was managing their egos and, and making sure they were, they were um, you know, all pulling in the same direction like sled dogs um, because you could have, you know, 12 different uh, egos, personalities, and they're just like pulling very strongly against each other in different ways and you're not going anywhere. And whereas with the women, I felt like it was managing emotions and, and um, trying to build them up. And something that um, I read and also uh, heard was kept coming through was like this idea that like if you give a challenge to a uh, generally speaking um, a guy, they're like, all right, yeah, one in a million chance, I'm the guy, you know, I can do it. And if you give that challenge to a female, um, they evaluate like their past experience and their success rate and the percentages and probabilities. And so the way I coached them was slightly different. And then going to division one, back to division one, uh, taking those lessons I learned from coaching the women's team at Springfield college, I tried to apply in that division one framework, um, that work, those, those practices or principles, I would say. Mm -hmm. Okay, and and so then, 
you've obviously stepped away from from co uh, college coaching for a period of time and i'm always interested to speak with coaches who have experience outside of college coaching you know i'm, I'm interested in both obviously but I, I feel like you know once i stepped away from college coaching uh for three years if i came back to it now i'd, I'd, I'd have such a different mindset because of the experiences um and and the education i've had away from college coaching and, and viewing things from from a much different perspective so how was that time maybe away from college coaching and then also your work as an associate professor at Springfield influenced how you operate as a head coach at Northern Colorado the time, the time away I spent six years away from uh, 2009 to 2015 uh, left Nevada uh, for family and family reasons and and it was very valuable for me. I mean, when I left Nevada, I was only 29 years old, and um, and we had achieved some success on on paper, right? And also just uh, in in building relationships in the community. And it it gives you time. It gave me time to reflect on what's important, and also sustainability versus a, uh, attainment, right? Like. I, I, I tend to be a person that can go like can burn really, really fast, but it's hard for me to burn like that really long. And when, when I was teaching and coaching at Springfield, um, I mean that time before it, it made me start to appreciate like, okay, sustainability, like the long-term uh, benefit of this and, and the things that I loved in coaching and teaching and being in the uh, higher education, um, but learning to have a little bit of a better uh, balance in my time that I that I tried to take into my time in Northern Colorado. And I think a challenge for me has been learning to say no um, when it's something that could help help the program right um and learning to like set some boundaries on my own time and my own space so that i'm trying to bring a better uh version of myself to to those people and serve them in in a good way long term and i think that's still an ongoing process for me um going forward that i'm looking at you know my next stage the next chapter as well um because when you're service service oriented, it becomes very uh, easy to keep saying yes all the time to others, and in turn, you're saying no to your your own health and self, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and so, uh, how much better at that were you then when you went to Northern Colorado versus Nevada? You had had this awareness. But but you're also starting a new job, and I'm I'm sure, like you said, you're 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 burning hot, you're burning quickly. Um, uh, did you just have a greater awareness when you were maybe pushing yourself too much, and you were able to take a day off or take a step back? I mean, is that kind of how it how it manifested? Uh, I'd say I was like half a point percentage better. <laughs> <laughs> Something. We'll not, take it. Not much better in the in the big, you know, in the big scheme. Um, but 
like something, you know, something practical I tried to do was we would go, um, you know, we play on the weekend, right? And we travel, for example, or even, you know, home and you're, you know, it's a, it's a full day, right? And then I tried to block off at least half a day, if not a full day, where I just disappeared off the grid, like go up in the mountains or just go and escape um, during my time at Northern Colorado. And in the past, like at Nevada or Springfield, especially at Springfield where I was coaching both teams, I would be, I would feel like, well, wait a sec here. I was just with the women's team or I was just with the men's team. They need, you know, that attention, like on that Monday or that Tuesday or whatever it is. And I would feel guilty about it. Um, And so, you know, the half percentage, I would say, like, I I didn't do it well enough, I would say, um, going forward. But uh, I tried to do it and I noticed how it did help me. Um, I'd come back and, uh, if you know, if you, it, it all comes down to modeling, like with our children, but with our players as well. Like if you talk about rest and uh, the importance of recovery to your players, but as a coach, you're not recharging and recovering and resting. It, it, it's uh, it's not an alignment, right? Like they don't they don't really see it. So that's something that I, I think I'm I'm started to explore this spring especially with with our team um and myself like okay i need time i need time to recover as as a coach and gain gain a little better perspective because you get Mm -hmm. sucked into that vortex that like tornado of of the energy Mm -hmm. at least i did (laughs) no I, i think we we all do or at least i know i did uh for sure and and it's hard to because you you were a tennis player right so you so you think well it's just physical and it's like the players are out there and they're putting the physical effort i'm just walking from one court to the other and i'm sitting down and having my chat with them at the at the changeover but not recognizing just the the the, I guess, psychological, the mental toll, you're focused on, on so many things. You've probably been thinking about the match leading up to it. Maybe you didn't sleep well the night before. The travel's catching up with you as well. Um, you know, if the season's going well, you're trying to keep it going well. If the season's going badly, <laughs> you're trying to turn that around. Like either way, it, it's, it's on your mind. And then I think uh, coaches don't give that enough credit that they 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 don't uh, they confuse the the physical with the with the psychological and i think there's no doubt the season is having a psychological impact on, on coaches and and uh um yeah i think we've we've all been there we've all struggled with that but i'd love to to go into that a little bit more uh chad because i think we're we're both very interested in this topic and how do we help our coaches with with their mental health you know and how do we ensure they have um you know, their, their priorities in order, not ensure, ultimately that's up, up to them, but uh, have them understand we're all kind of feeling the same way. And uh, would you be better served thinking about these things in a different way? But, you know, this is where it comes to your, your business, uh, a disciplined mind. So this is something that you started uh, when you were away from college tennis, but can you tell us a little bit about that and how that maybe intercepts with with some you know the areas of mental health or coach mental health 
For sure. Yeah, so I have a, a master's in sports science and I um, specialized in sports psychology. And I think, um, you know, it started when I was young as a player. I knew uh, based upon uh, who my parents were that I wasn't going to be, you know, this tall and imposing <laughs> individual. I remember being at 14 clay courts and um, playing, uh, I think it was KJ Hippensteel the time and and he's like six feet he's 14 and i'm 13 13 years old he's 14 years old and i'm like three feet you know or four feet you know i'm just like this is 14 and unders here you know so i remember thinking about the mental side of things and going okay that could be my competitive advantage because it's not necessarily going to be my physical uh, capabilities that are going to allow me to, you know, get one game off you on, you know, if we play at Fresno State on the courts, you know, it's like, all right, can I get one game against Dave and, um, you know, Nick Fustar and people like that? Uh, it's going to be mentally how I process things and my understanding of the game, um, bringing out my greatest strengths, that clarity, things like that. So. From a young kid, I, I I was really fascinated with psychology and sports psychology and learning from Dr. Lair and people like that. I remember going to these workshops. And so um, it's expanded and it, it or just continuing to dive uh, deep into that. And when I started doing some consulting work and workshops and, and things during my time, uh, six years in Denver, um, you know, around 2010 and that time frame and and carrying it forward into into like my time teaching at Springfield College and my time uh, at Northern Colorado. One of the things that I talked with our administration, our athletic administration about, um, and also the administration at the school is we're we're very concerned as we should be about the student athletes and their mental and emotional health. But if we're going to do that, we need to make sure that we're taking care of the people who take care of them, right? And I, I really, like, buy into the model, like the Southwest Airlines model. It's like, I right, take care of your employees so they can take care of your customers. Mm-hmm. And um, I was in, uh, involved in, uh, we had a program, Champions for Life at Northern Colorado by the um, implemented from the athletic director, Darren Dunn, and, and I asked to get involved on the, the committee and, and say like, okay, when we have these people come in and work with our student athletes, how can they work with us, not just coaches, but the administrators, the support staff, athletic training, to educate us and teach us so we're, we're whole human beings and bringing out our best selves. And that, in turn, is going to affect the students when we're working with them, whether in the training room or on the court or, you know, communicating with them in the academic environment, whatever it may be. So I think it'll be a lifelong pursuit for me uh, exploring that um, in, in a variety of ways because I've, I've experienced the emptiness of great achievement 
but not having the fulfillment. And I've experienced also the great achievement, but knowing that, uh, and that tries to fill your entire, you know, health up and it doesn't work that way. And so I really admire people like in our game, for example, uh, Billy Jean King or Roger Federer, not just because of what they've accomplished, but who they become in the process. And also organizationally as well, you see it in a few spaces and places that I'm uh, continuing to explore. Yeah, so with all that understanding, your own experience, your own education, your interests, uh, what what advice would you have for coaches in in terms of managing their mental health? I mean, are there any tips or or tricks that you can give us all? For sure. Um, yeah, and they're, they're not mine. You know, they've just been passed down for uh, thousands of years. Um, you know, John Nelson has had a great saying that I continue to use um, is wisdom stands the test of time. Knowledge is time based. You know, we all used to think that uh, or most people used to think the world was flat. And then, you know, the knowledge, the education changed. but there I think that's of, coming back in vogue now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, sorry, you're talking about a serious subject here, and I tried to make a joke. Sorry. Exactly. I'll, I'll shut up. But yeah. there's there's uh, there's timeless principles, right? Like, um, one of the things that's helped me is is um, rituals and routines, right? Just like as a tennis player. Um, as a human being is having like a morning ritual, have an evening ritual, even if it's really small amount of time, it's more about the consistency of it and the quality of it. I mean, in the United States and the Western culture, we are obsessed with quantity, but we, uh, we, you know, we have endless amounts of information, but we're really lacking wisdom right? And the application. So, so like morning rituals of, uh, you know, for me, like meditation, a little bit of exercise, um, some sunlight, um, maybe uh, journaling that I've done in the past, like just, okay, setting, setting like that intention for the day, like how I want to be and who I want to be. And then, you know, at the end of the day, checking in and okay, not shaming myself, like whether I got some, you know, didn't get something done or operated a certain way, but more just like reflecting and, and seeing in my veering off path. And um, I think that's, that's helpful. It can be as simple as, you know, 30 seconds or a minute uh, of your day just like little check-ins, um, you know, our men's coach at, at Northern Colorado, Ben did something that I, I started copying. You know, I was asking him cause I noticed he would like come out to practice in the beginning and he'd be pretty energetic. And I'd be like, how are you doing that? You know, like when we're just going crazy a million miles per hour. And one of the things he said was like, he'll just close his door, his office door, you know, silence his phone before he headed out to practice for a couple minutes and just, just like shut everything down. So he was ready and focused 
and get clear with like how he wanted to run his practice. Whereas a lot of times before I stepped into my practice, I was like talking to this person and doing this and, and then rushing, you know, trying to eat a quarter of a sandwich as I'm running out to the courts. So that was something that um, I, I try to learn from everybody. And the way I look at it is like, you've got something that's working for you, Dave. Uh, I'm going to see, I'm going to experiment and see if it's cool. Yeah, uh, no, it's great advice. And yeah, you, you want your players, right, to have an open mind and to experiment and try new things. And coaches need to open themselves up to that. And I know from my own journey as well, the more I open myself up to those things and, and explore those things uh, and put in those routines, um, it became very clear to me that, that I needed to get out of college coaching. So, so it's, it's funny how, how it plays out. I was doing those routines to help with my mental health and um, just uh, dealing with, with life and, and obviously running a program as well. But as those routines became more embedded, uh, more clarity uh, entered my, <laughs> my consciousness, I guess, not to get too woo-woo, and um, allowed me to, to have that space and, and recognition that uh, my future wasn't actually in college coaching, uh, but it's, yeah, look, everybody's on, on their own journey. But um, I think we, you know, time after time, we keep being told these stories of, uh, like you said, quantity over quality, and we all keep pushing and we keep pushing for more, but it just ends up oftentimes in a bad place and it's maybe you just have to learn that lesson right maybe you just have to go through it and you hit a wall whether it's health or family or something else and that's that's the message that you needed to change course um or maybe some people get through unscathed i don't know i I haven't seen it i haven't been around people that that uh, have come away from it uh without any scarring but uh maybe i'm not speaking to the right people (laughs) <laughs> no i think i think experience is a is a a beautiful teacher it can be uh very emotionally um challenging uh, but like pain and things like that but uh if you can get through it and uh someone said to me the other day we either run from the truth or we run toward it Mm-hmm. And you know, life, life does teach us a lot of lessons if we're if we're a willing student. That's for sure. Um, and yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, no. I appreciate you sharing that with us, Chad. Because I, I I do get calls from from coaches, male coaches. That's the thing. I think sometimes we think, oh, this is just a, a women's issue. It, it's not. Men are struggling with their mental health. Uh, male coaches are struggling with their mental health. They're looking for for uh, ways to to better manage. Um, just their their own emotions, um, their own family lives. Uh, just dealing with all the different things that are coming their way. Uh, so no, I, I really do appreciate you sharing this and, and maybe we lost some listeners as we were going through this, but uh, maybe <laughs> others will, will connect and that's okay. But bringing us back to, to kind of the college coaching world. I mean, so you, you became the, the head women's coach at, at Northern Colorado in 2018 and, you know, in speaking with you over the last year or so, it was, it was very clear to me that you understood the vulnerabilities of the Northern Colorado teams and some of the weaknesses and 
you know, you were taking steps to, to, uh, to try and shore up some of those weaknesses. And, and co- can you talk about what you were trying to do to, to put that program on a, on a firm for foundation? Sure. Um, when I interviewed for the position with the athletic director and associate athletic director, I asked them very directly, uh, is, is the women's tennis program and, and the tennis programs, men's as well, on firm footing or will in the next couple of years or down the road, are you going to cut the programs? Um, because from the outside, I, I saw the, the vulnerability, right? That the, so it, it, when I looked at it, we were facility challenged um, and financially challenged. And, um, and we, we had to shore those things up. So uh, we were um, working with, we got a, a core group of, community supporters and a lot of them were tennis players that uh, business people in the community that we started uh, Ben and I the men's tennis coach started meeting with and talking with uh, about plans to build an indoor facility to partner with the community to uh, help us financially to achieve our goals and uh, support the student athletes um, not just not just from a, a financial standpoint, but an emotional and physical standpoint. So when I showed up at Northern Colorado, I remember meeting with the, the team and meeting with them individually. And I said, like, what's, what's the largest crowd you've seen at your matches in your years that you've been here? And, and they were, you know, saying pretty small numbers. And, and I said, like, what's that feel like, right? What's that experience like? Have you ever in your life, like as a junior or something, you played at a tournament where there were a lot of people? And what was it like when there were, you know, five people? And that was something that I was after. What important to me is to create an environment where people were engaged in different capacities. So if somebody couldn't give or didn't want to give to our tennis program financially, would they attend, you know, some matches or would they be, you know, a supporter of, of one of the girls on the team or one of the boys on the team, like a, um, a family away from, you know, home, like when this kid's from Spain and, you know, would they feel like, okay, a host parent, you know, and just, looking at creative ways where the student athletes could feel like, yeah, this is a home away from home. I'm, I'm supported here in a variety of ways. I thought that was really important to keep building that, that special environment. Hey, so Chad, yeah, there's no doubt that if you had a few more years to develop relationships in the community, build a team success, improve the facilities, the tennis programs may not have been canceled. So looking back, do you believe there's anything else you could have done? And what advice would you give to coaches early in their tenure at any program around the country? Yes. So it goes back to my time at Nevada where you asked about Dave. That's, that's a great question is that first year like running around and and not being 
focused on the 80-20 principle. Like what what 20% of my energies are going to produce 80% of my results. Just like as a tennis player, right? Like if you if you've got a certain strength, why are you only using it 40% of the time? 40% of your matches, right? Or 40% of the match. So what I would say is deciding figuring out what are the key factors to not only the stability of the program, but the growth of the program, right? Because it's, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder for people in a decision-making capacity, administrators be both in the athletic department and the institution to cut something that's growing versus something that they see as stagnating or dissolving, right? So something that I think is important is knowing who are the key influencers in the community and on campus that influence the decision-making power of, of those decision-makers. So who has, who has the president's ear? Uh, who has the board of trustees' ears? Um, who has the athletic director's ear? Um, and do any of those people connect to the tennis programs or is someone that's involved, has been involved with the tennis program, supporting the tennis programs, or could be involved, connect to those people. And it's looking to connect the dots, really. Um, and it's something that Ben and I, uh, the men's coach were in the process of doing, but I think, Looking back on it, it's something I wish I would have done uh, from day one um, in, a, in a better way. And, and so that 20% would, would drive the 80% mm-hmm. because uh, sometimes it was more scattershot of trying to figure out, well, wait a sec, so who's who and, and all right, well, we got a tournament this weekend. We got to get ready. For, we got to get fans and we got to do all that all the little things, right? That add up to playing mm-hmm. a tournament at the Air Force Academy or something. Mm-hmm. So how does a coach do that? They land in a new place. Uh, they probably moved from another state, may have no connections there whatsoever other than the people they've met on the, the interview process. What do they do on, on day one to, to make those connections? Yeah. I think it's, it's finding out... Uh, the history of the program, alumni, I think, right, like alumni are a great way to connect um, in a variety of ways, but within this specifically, finding out, okay, who, who's been part of the program and who's continuing to support the program and asking, asking questions to, to get a better understanding of the landscape. Right, rather than just trying to run at a at full speed and and going forward, uh, that's where I would start is with the alums, and because some of the alums are in the general area, right? It, it depends, but sometimes I mean, even at uh, Division One institutions in tennis, where you have uh, a high percentage of internationals, some of them sometimes are working, like we have alums working in the Denver area, you know, an hour away. And, and 
um, that are even, you know, an international. So it's like, okay, connecting with those people. And, and I think that also helps tie in the, the past, the present and the future of, of your vision of what you want to do and achieve with the program. That's where I would start. Very good. Um, so I know Chad, you, you love speaking with coaches. Uh, you know, you're, you're just trying to learn all the time. You'll, you'll speak with, with really anybody who will uh, share something that you might be able to, to apply to your own life or your coaching or your own program. Um, so what is the best advice you have received from a college coach uh, that you think about often? Um, I, I would, I would go with uh, coach Gould, Dick Gould told me I, uh, when I was applying for the job at Nevada, uh, 2005 and, uh, 25 years old, he said, um, there's no perfect place, right? Like on the outside looking in, it looks like their X place is, is perfect. You know, he said a lot of people think it's Stanford, right? Like mm-hmm. we got everything, you know, everything's perfect. And he said, but when you get on the inside of the house, you start to uh, realize that there's, there's things that need improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, there's things that you can't change. And I think that's true. You know, that's like a microcosm, a lesson for life as well um, that, that I've taken forward. And, and um, you know, sometimes we're like coaching a player uh, that's challenging you dealing with it the same way. Like, oh, I wish they were like, you know, or I wish they did this. And, and, and it can be a, uh, a feeling of agitation for both sides. And I've made that mistake, you know, many times versus trying to find, um, common ground to stand on. Same with the administrators, right? Like, you know, they have their, um, things they have to accomplish and, and people they have to report to. And, and sometimes uh, we can, as tennis coaches, we can be really narrow minded and focused that tunnel vision, which is good, but other times it helps to see the, the bigger picture of the, like the entire athletic department or the institution you're at, what they're trying to accomplish as well and why they're trying to achieve what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. And so then how do you balance learning with application? Because, right, we can read all the books. We can spend all day, every day in the library and say, oh, that's interesting and go down a number of rabbit holes, but then forget what we learned or just not, not apply it or try it. So how have you balanced that throughout your career? Um, well, I think that... I think it's like if you if you read a book on push-ups, you know that doesn't make you it doesn't make you stronger, right? Like you have to get down on the ground and start doing the push-ups, and so just that awareness um, is is where it starts for me. Um, but part of it is part of it is it seeps in, like your inputs affect your outputs, right? And so the reading or, or the conversations or something you listen to, you're at the coaches convention. I remember being at the coaches convention and, and, you know, hearing a, a great presentation and, 
then I, I always go back to like, all right, how am I going to use this? Or when am I going to use this? Why must I use this? And asking myself those questions. So it doesn't just, like you're saying, you're, you're spending a lot of time in the, the learning phase, but very little of the application phase. And like I talked about earlier, I'm not afraid uh, in a lot of ways to experiment and try things for a little bit of time. Um, and I tried, I've tried to uh, create or cultivate that in, in our students as well um, and the student athletes. So saying like in, you know, practice or something, let's try this today. Like if it's, you know, doesn't mean we're going to, we have to stick with it tomorrow. If, 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 let's try this drill or let's try this, you know, um, you've been doing it this way for a while. Let's, let's experiment. And, you know, I remember, I remember being at university of Hawaii and talking with two of the guys, uh, one guy from South Africa and one guy from Canada, and they both had had two-handed backhands that were uncomfortable for their entire junior careers and into part of their college careers. And they never felt comfortable. And I said to them, what have you got to lose if you try for a day or two of hitting a one-handed backhand? Like, you can always go back to the two-hander, right? Like, okay, you may think you've wasted a day, but I guarantee you've wasted practices before. You know, like framing it that way. And so they start, you know, messing around even just before practice hitting the one-handers. And I would ask them questions like, how does that feel? Does it feel more free, like easier? You know, what, what are you struggling with? Things like that. Both those guys went from losing 75, 80% of their matches with two-handed backhands in college tennis. They were both not top juniors to like one of them six weeks later beats the number four player in three sets from Stanford with a one-handed backhand. That was the South African Jared. And uh, Brian uh, Weinberg goes from uh, literally he lost every single match his freshman year at five and six at Ball State uh, in singles um, to going 16 and three, playing two and three for us at Hawaii beaten three nationally ranked players in one spring season, SMU, Boise State, and uh, San Diego, number twos and threes. And it, and it beat two of them in straight sets. Wow. And so I think there, there's some benefits, like you're saying, just to experimenting. And uh, it doesn't have to be for forever. And so that's something I, I, I think is – important for myself to do and also for me to model to my daughter to the people I've coached or been around and I try to put myself in environments with people like that because that's really it's really fun to be in environments like where you're with someone who's also a lot older 70s or 80s and they're they still have a a love for being a beginner again or trying something in a different way it's like wow this is this is cool Mm -hmm. yeah okay so how does a coach build sports psychology principles theories best practices into their list of priorities when working with individuals and teams so i think 
we spend a lot of time in the sports space working on the physical skills. And we spend very little time teaching people how to use their mental skills, right? Like people say, oh, you just need to focus better. Like, what? You know, like how, really? Mm-hmm. How is the question, right? It's like saying to somebody who's struggling in math, uh, you, you just need to be better at math. Like, they're like, I know that, you know, I wish I was. Mm-hmm. And so it's sprinkling in that comp, uh, I, I believe in the, the compound effect. Like we started doing little things over long periods of time to help people learn how to focus their minds, uh, learn how to um, use their strengths to be clear and understand. So like, uh, little things is um, journaling. So having the players keep a, a tennis notebook. I was like, well, you have to keep some sort of notebook for most of your classes, right? Like a math notebook, a biology notebook. How come you don't keep a tennis notebook? And and take some notes and, and like, what are the patterns here for my greatest successes when I've played really great tennis? know what 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 are the obstacles or the limitations I've found uh when I've when I've been in that streak I've lost eight matches in a row and I want to quit the sport right like things like that um and so just little little um sprinkles in of sprinkling in of of teaching people how to harness the power of their mind because I don't think most people, not just athletes, most people even realize their capabilities. And I believe that every skill is learnable and every skill is teachable. And human beings don't lack capacity. We just haven't really been taught on a consistent basis how to do that. Very good, Chad. We're, uh, yeah, you've already given lots of great advice, but we're going to move into some quicker questions here. Uh, so what, what is the book that has made a major impact on you as a coach? So from a team aspect, um, Roland at Florida brought it up to me at a conference is Legacy by James Kerr. Mm-hmm. Really helped me do define how I wanted the team to operate, not just the individual. From an individual coaching standpoint is the coaching habit. And it it helped me uh, reframe the power of being silent and asking questions, not always talking at the player. You need to do this. You should do this. But helping me look better. Yep. Yeah. Do you have a favorite drill? Yes. Van Drillen uh, is what we called it. My coach at Nevada, Ryan Johnston, showed it to us. So you can play it one-on-one or, or two-on-two. Uh, there's If it's one-on-one, it's a net player and a baseline player. Um, we, we used to normally play it cross-court. The net player feeds to the baseline player, say we're on the deuce side. Um, 
And the net player can never let the ball bounce. If they let the ball bounce, uh, the point ends and it's worth two points. It counts as a winner. Winners are worth two. Everything else in error is worth one. And it's a really fun game. I, I've never had a player who's like, yeah, uh, you know, this game kind of sucks or you know, I don't like it. Um, and it teaches you how to use the court uh, in different ways, the space. Because a lot of players, I, I experienced it myself, tend to try to solve a problem just by like blasting through it. And that game teaches you like, oh, how do I create different solutions? Mm -hmm. Love it, okay. Name one thing you've changed your mind on in recent years, whether it's in coaching or in life or both yeah. um the the power of saying no um as i talked about earlier the power of saying no so i can say yes say no maybe now so i can say yes later on mm -hmm. yeah so as before you used to say yes to everything basically yeah. uh, uh, certain <laughs> things i did yeah certain spaces yeah. For yeah, sure. yeah. Okay. And what's your favorite quote? Don't ask what the, it's by Howard Thurman, who was uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s mentor, advisor. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do more of that because that's what the world needs. Awesome. What is one lesson you hope all your players have learned by the time they leave your program? the belief in themselves that that self-efficacy that they can make a positive difference in the world nice okay very clear well chad i, I think we we covered it all thanks so much for all your time this morning and sharing what you have with the coaches and uh yeah we hope that you'll be back in the coaching ranks here sooner rather than later because we we need more like you that's for sure that's kind of you to say, and thanks for the opportunity, Dave.